Hey everyone, welcome to the Brain Cage podcast. We are here because we sense the urgency of healing, growth and change. Our goal with this company and podcast is to bring you tools and inspiration so we together can create a flourishing world both inwardly and outwardly for ourselves and generations to come. My guest today is the beautiful, the curious and overcomer with a truly inspirational story, Brittany Chavez. She is a professional birth supporter and educator and above all else a healer who is helping uplift the level of consciousness of the planet. If I have to summarize this conversation, it's just two humans seeing similarities over differences, talking life and spreading love. So without further ado, I let the vibe reach you. I was reading about you and your journey it's a crazy roller coaster ride which you have been through so i'm deeply curious about that so i wanted to start from the start your childhood and being born and growing up in a catholic family and then facing all that dogma going through <laughs> racism sexism slut shaming and what not right yes yeah Let's oh my start. goodness yeah that's a a big thing to dive into <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure so uh yeah i grew up in in a catholic household and we were like weird catholics like fundamentalist catholic so it's not like the typical people who you see going to church on sunday we actually like spoke latin and covered our heads and a lot of times it was frowned upon to like send your kids to public school you were supposed to like homeschool them or send them to private school and uh, it was also like frowned upon for women to work outside of the house um and the women were like it was dictated like how you how you're supposed to dress so you have to wear like really long dresses you're not allowed to wear pants um so like yeah it was it was a little bit weird and i do i do think it's more along the lines of like fundamentalist uh, or fundamentalism christianity Um, so it was a really strange dynamic growing up for sure. And I guess like the biggest problem that it gave me and the biggest issue that I had to heal from was just like a lot of guilt and shame. Um, just because from the time I was a really small child, I was told if I didn't follow God's law or if I didn't listen to my parents that I was going to burn in hell. And that's a really scary thing to tell, um, to tell children. So yeah, that was kind of, a little strange. And then around the age when I was about 14, I was actually going to a Catholic school at the time. And uh, we had this conversation about, you know, conquistadors, like the the Spanish uh, colonizers who came over to Mexico and Central America. And, uh, you know, they like created genocide, both culturally and uh, physically of the people there. And, you know, my history teacher at the time was like, didn't lie about it and was very open and honest about what the Catholics had done. And I was like, wow. So if there is a God, I don't think that this God would condone genocide. Like, I just don't think that this loving God would be okay with all of this war and this like senseless killing in his Mm. name. So uh, that was something that really started to get my wheels turning, especially as just a, you know, a small kid. I was only 14 at the time. So yeah, that really just got me thinking about religion and the dogma. And I started to think based on that experience, like maybe all of this 
programming and all of this, these things that you've been taught, these dogmas are not, they're just not, (laughs) they're not real. Maybe they're not at all connected to God or spirituality. Um, So I guess from that point, that was like a big turning point of where I was like, okay, maybe this isn't right for my own life. (laughs) Yeah. Since childhood, like we are taught in every religion that uh, like kind of we were made in the image of God, right? Yeah. (laughs) But the truth of the matter is, which very few people realize that God was made in the image of man. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. And it's, it's very silly, like for Catholic girls growing up, because we are told that we're told you're made in the image and likeness of God. But when you see all the images of God, it's, a big bearded guy that looks <laughs> nothing like me. So <laughs> it's a little hard to uh, also to identify with the divine. And I do feel like being brought up as a Christian or just as a Catholic, maybe, maybe it's not like that for other Christians, but being brought up as a Catholic, I also felt like there was a separation between women and spirituality mm. because in that particular, you know, sect or way of doing things, you know, women aren't allowed to be priests. They're not allowed to, um, to administer sacraments. They're not allowed to do ceremonies. They're not yeah. allowed to preach. They're not allowed to teach men. They're not allowed to teach others. So the only thing that you're supposed to do as a woman in that belief system is, is to have children and to raise them and to school them. So yeah. uh, like I said, it's really frowned upon kind of to have your own life or even to have your own you know, place in the world of divinity or, or you know, like I said, just holding ceremony or preaching or helping other people spiritually. Yeah. People kind of protect their sense of identity with their life, right? And threatening like anybody who is a religious person, if he is or she is listening to this podcast, challenging religion is like challenging their sense of self, their identity. Yeah. Yeah. And I I definitely, yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I feel that. I feel that because before I kind of like deconstructed myself and uh, just my own faith and my own belief system, I kind of like had my hands over my ears and was like, (laughs) I'm not listening to anybody who was atheist or just had different religious beliefs. Mm. And I mean, the way that I, again, that I was brought up, like, I think a lot of Christians are brought up to believe if you believe in Jesus, then you're saved. But that's not how I was raised. I was raised like, you have to be this particular fundamentalist (laughs) Catholic or everybody else is going to burn. And I'm like, "Mm," again, like, I don't feel like if there is a God, a loving God that, um, that, that falls in line with what his teachings or their teachings or beliefs might be. <laughs> yeah. I, I was thinking like uh, prior to talking to you, I was thinking about this concept of burning <laughs> in hell. Like people have been threatened by this concept, right? And every religion have their own version of it. So yeah, I was thinking like people who are kind of vindictive, evil and living in that negative frequency their whole life. (laughs) Don't you think those people are living in hell? (laughs) I do. I actually do. And I think that I've lived there as well. You know, I really do think that when you, yeah, (laughs) you live in a place of fear and you know, you're not free to make your own choices or to Mm. follow your own heart or your own life path. And you feel like you're very pressured to, you know, fit into 
a certain vision or ideal of what society is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's really like an act of violence against your own soul. So, and I realize that there are people who are religious and, you know, they do really well with religion. It's something that helps them get closer to God or to spirit. It helps them be a better person. It empowers them on their life's path and their journey. And that's wonderful. But for me, it just feels like it's a barrier put. You don't think so that people do like good with religion. (laughs) No, I I think putting like following any dogma, any belief, uh, following any kind of what you call rules, regulations, philosophy, what it does, it divides us. For example, if yes. I if I am saying that I'm a nationalist, I'm a core Indian at heart, then I will not see you as a human being. I'll see you as a mm. kind of, oh, she belongs from US. Uh, she's a foreigner. Okay. I'll put a label of being an American on you and I'll not, yeah. we'll not be able to connect heart to heart, human to human, but we'll connect as like people living so far from each other we have different kind of way of looking at the world you are a christian i'm a hindu see every label i put keeps on dividing us yeah that's true i think that when you are a part of a belief system it is easier to other people and i think that that's probably why we have so much division today i don't know if you follow like politics and everything that's going on in the united states (laughs) try to to stay away from it (laughs) Too, me too, but I live here, so some of it's unavoidable, but wow, yeah. there is definitely a lot of division. And I, I think that it's like, you know, I don't know if it's so much as like following a different belief mm-hmm. system, but really I think it's um, like internalizing that belief system and making that part of your identity. Because mm-hmm. I think you can have beliefs that are separate from your identity. Like it doesn't have to be a core, you know, a part or, or component of who you are. But I think a lot of people do that and if you ask me it's just you're unoriginal (laughs) if you don't have your own set of uh, ideas or beliefs or morals then Mm -hmm. like who are you are you just this identity that you've put on or (laughs) right but have you like thought them through have you challenged them enough before accepting them right or you have just (laughs) gathered them from your surrounding your parents and just imbibed them because you didn't have your own mind. And- exactly. Yeah. And I think that's another, that's another point. It's a really another, another really good point is that people, a lot of times they don't realize that, you know, the name that they're given, the gender they're given, mm. the religion, the language, even that they're given, that's all things that you don't get to decide for yourself. Um, you just are given that when you're born. So I think that for me anyways, part of growing up and really um, stepping into my own power was figuring out who am I and what do I want to believe? Aside from all these things that I was given, what do I want to choose for myself? So so we are not talking atheism here. (laughs) We are talking exploration, right? And in your childhood, after recognizing the dogma, recognizing all the stuff which is which might be untrue as a kid right like reality might be different than what i'm taught to be you started recognizing it you started seeing it and it's kind of brutal funny at the same time that you 
like strive to move out from all that and you keep getting yeah. sucked in again and again and again <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> yes yeah absolutely yeah that was pretty wild and i like i said there's a lot of just you know guilt and shame that goes along with that mm. so i you know i really i consider the fact that i did pretty much lose my faith or lose my religion when i was about 14 um so of course when you're a kid and you live with your parents they're going to make mm. you pray or make you go to church and make you do things but i think there's a difference between somebody forcing you to do something and you actually mm-hmm. feeling that in your heart and you actually participating in that because you want to do it you know there's it's different energies it's different intentions so my heart really wasn't in it um and then when i was about 21 or 22 i was pregnant with my second daughter and for a long time i just had completely gone no contact with a lot of my family because yeah. i i just associated them with their belief system and they're by the way they're all still alive and well and very happy with their <laughs> belief system <laughs> but for some reason i just felt like you know i should uh, be respectful and talk to my grandmother cuz she is kind of like matriarch and like the oldest person in our family um so i had some conversations with her and she started really creeping into my mind with all the again like the guilt and the shame and the fear vibration and mentality of just like you know like i was at a point where i was like i'm good i don't believe in this stuff enough so that i don't feel like i'm going to burn in hell or like there's anything bad but my grandmother said to me if there's even a 1% chance that you'll go to hell <laughs> don't you think it's important to make sure that your kids are baptized and make sure that your kids get you know all the sacraments and that kind of stuff and when the more i thought about it the more i was like well i don't want my kids to burn in hell like it was still that <laughs> that fear so yeah I, i ended up going back and i i stayed for about another 4ish year. So I had um all of my kids, I got all of my kids baptized and uh did all of that and then you know one of the summers came around and the church was about to start their catechism classes. And that's kind of like that's a requirement in the in the Catholic faith. So all the children have to go through these classes so that they can start their journey as young Catholics and do all of their sacraments and that kind of stuff. So, um I kept pushing it off and all of the people at church were kind of like pressuring me like, "Okay, you have to put your kids in these classes because you're Catholic." And the more that I just sat and thought about it, the more I was like, "You know what? I don't believe in original sin. I don't believe that God is some bearded patriarchal figure that judges people and smites them with fire." so i just couldn't do it and that was really one of the the big kind of like key factors that pushed me to to really deconstruct so you know when i was a kid i don't think i deconstructed while i lost my religion i still had the construction of that belief system and the programming yeah. and like i said the fear the guilt the shame i had all of those negative emotions and i didn't have the emotional intelligence or the spiritual skills to deconstruct and kind of remove those barriers of fear and guilt from my life. So that's why it was so easy for me to fall back into the religious mm-hmm. programming because I knew that my whole life like I said I was born into it. So I just didn't want to give my kids the same level of fear that I had. And I do right. really feel like it um it altered or it changed my life path and 
I made some decisions based on being a Catholic instead of just on being a human and doing what was right for my own soul. So that was a really big um, kind of like momentum shift for me where I was like, wow, I just can't put my kids through this as well. And then uh, later that year, I went to this conference. So um, since 2014, I've been a doula and a, a doula is like a kind of like a pregnancy coach. And we do yeah. support and education, kind of help people through the birth process and help them mm -hmm. recover afterwards. So that's a really a beautiful job to have. And I love it so much. But I was at this uh, birth conference and it's like kind of like learning about anatomy, but also learning about the spiritual side of birth. And yeah. I was in this small uh, conference in a house with like 25 other women mm -hmm. and we held ceremony together and the space was so beautiful and it was so sacred. And it was at that moment that I realized, wow, I can have sacred space. I can have beauty. I can have ritual. I can have ceremony. And it doesn't have to look like religion. Like it doesn't have to look like dogma or following somebody else's rules or somebody else's rituals mm. like i can be the own ceremony keeper in my own life i think like your this journey of uh, motherhood because uh, when we talk about getting out of this dogma belief system as kids we know if we learn about psychology or neuroscience that when you are very very young your brain is very very malleable and what gets in it seeps in so much that it's a rare individual that even tries to question it because if you will try to question it and which i have done my whole life and <laughs> you have also done it's very very hard and you will suffer in the process it's like you're chained in the yes. wall, walls <laughs> and you have to break, break those chains so your mind can be free to see yeah. the world for what it is so I think yeah, absolutely. your journey as a mother, which I have read, like your story, that your journey as a mother gave you this kind of courage and fortitude to like finally step into the light, right? Yes. Yeah. No, I would definitely say that because it was my kids that made me realize like this is this belief system is actually really violent and really oppressive. So it was honestly for the sake of my children was why I left. That was why I decided to deconstruct um, because I, I never knew about how to raise children or, um, you know, how to give them emotional coping tools or emotional intelligence outside of the framework of religion. And yeah. honestly, like my goal as a mother, I just, I want to raise kids who are good people and who don't need to go mm. to therapy for the rest of their life because of the <laughs> things I've done to them. So <laughs> um, I just want them to be good and whole and to have those spiritual skills and those emotional coping skills so that, you know, so that they feel like they can choose who they want to be. And so that they're empowered on their own life path moving forward. Yeah. So let's talk about your, motherhood journey a bit like being pregnant seven times losing children which is like yeah. kind of obviously the most devastating thing like yeah that can happen to a person yes like, yeah <clears throat> yeah that's but, it's the worst thing 
but yet you say the experience as a mother has left you much wiser and stronger so what yeah. the whole experience has taught you about motherhood life and you know especially about change which yeah. is another synonym of life <laughs> yeah oh no that's that's so true yeah uh so i believe that we can't control life i feel like we can control ourselves yeah and we can control our vibration and a lot of times we can almost like modulate how other people treat us based on how we treat ourselves and based on the boundaries that we set most of the time but we can't control anything and i think that right. the motherhood journey teaches you that or just being a parent in general you know mm-hmm. you can't control your kids you can't control their sickness you can't control their health you can't control their personalities you can't control their belief systems you can't you can try but it leads mm-hmm. to a lot of fighting and a lot of argument and i like to have peace so that's something that i i decided for myself and i definitely think that that was a big part of my uh deconstruction from religion mm-hmm. is just when i left i felt peace when i found ritual and ceremony and sacred space mm-hmm. i found peace so i had a lot of inner peace moving away from those belief systems and um i carried that peace over into my parenting journey and was you know basically has spent the last couple of years learning how to be peaceful be a peaceful person um, be a peaceful parent you know not yelling at my kids not um spanking them or or doing things like that so i i'm very gentle with them i have good conversations with them um and i don't i don't have regrets about the way that i parent because i feel so much peace so other people on the outside of my life can look at me yeah. and judge me for how i raise my kids or how i do these things or don't do other mm-hmm. things but at the end of the day I have a lot of peace about that. So I don't really care what other people think. <laughs> but really again my kids have springboarded me and honestly they have taught me how to be a better person and they've kind of pushed me into my own life path really. So like that the whole process of having kids for me it was um so like when I had my first uh child I had a lot of I don't know just like emotions and memories even from childhood that I had forgotten about just a lot of things came up for me and I yeah. realized you know the way that I was raised I think my parents did the best job that they possibly could with all the tools and the resources they had mm-hmm. but it just wasn't what I needed and it wasn't the best situation just wasn't the best way to raise kids so uh, not that I am ungrateful or that I want to blame my parents on the you know on the opposite side of that I I have a lot of gratitude for them because I feel like the way that I was raised taught me a lot of lessons about how to raise children and the things that mm. you shouldn't do so um that really helped me heal and really helped me find more peace honestly and you know the <laughs> the medical system in America it's it's something else I know it's it's not the best you know america we we spend the most money on healthcare the most money out of any country yeah. and we have some of the worst maternal and fetal um mortality rates in any industrialized country so like mm. there is places with low technology no running water and they have better birth outcomes than some of these american hospitals and so you know that whole idea of the medical complex coupled with my own journey of birthing in the medical machine the medical complex and 
having pretty rough experiences, that's one of those things that pushed me into becoming a doula. So, you know, I became this birth worker and I'm on this journey simultaneously while I'm deconstructing from religion and learning my own um, healing and checking my own trauma and my own biases. And uh, birth is another situation where it's like, you can't change things. You can't control them. You can't choose when a baby is born. You can't, you know, make a woman uh, go into labor at a certain time. Nobody can pick the outcomes. And it's just kind of like riding a wave, honestly. And so you just Mm. have to be along for the ride and you have to keep your own peace and presence through that journey so that you can be peaceful and present for the people that you're supporting. So a lot of that, I think, uh, really has helped shape me into this kind of like this person who just is really chill. And like I said, I'm, I'm good with change. Like I don't, I think a lot of people, like when things change in their experience, they get really angry because it's a super a us, <laughs> yes. well, a lot of us spend so much time making things the same, mm-hmm. you know, like we get up at the same time every day. Yeah. We brush our teeth the same way. We make the same beverages. We put on the same clothes. And we're the same person every day. So when life throws some change at us, we just Mm. get angry. We get angry at life. We get angry at God. We get angry at the system. And uh, honestly, we just, we just can't change that change. That's the only thing that we know about in life. Like things are going to continue to change. So, and, and I don't see change as something that's painful to me. It's just a neutral force. It's just something that happens in life. Mm-hmm. And it's going to happen with or without your permission. So it's just, mm. we have to be along for the ride and just let things unfold as they're going to unfold. So that's kind of like my earlier parenthood journey. And, and really the reason I got into doing doula work and childbirth education, all that kind of stuff, it really was shaped by uh, my experiences as a mother giving birth in the system and just not, not having a great time and feeling really uneducated. So like my Honestly, my first two births, I just felt like I was almost like cattle, you know, like they're just like put me in the hospital and they're like Mm. doing all these things to me, not really explaining what they're doing. And to me, it felt like they were trying to rush the process, not like this is a natural process and a lot of people do this and everything's going to be fine. But more like we have to do all of this high intervention, um, all of these medications, all of these different things to you um, because you're in danger. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't, again, I don't believe that, like just as a birth worker from my own experience, sometimes mm-hmm. events happen in birth that make it dangerous, but most of the time birth unfolds as just a natural event. And so we have to be prepared for both options or for both outcomes. But uh, most of the time we can allow things to unfold naturally and, and in your own time too. And so I think that that's another really big part of just mindfulness and is just uh, being able to be along for the ride. And I do think mm. that if you're attuned to those situations and those energies that uh, parent being a parent can really teach you about going with the flow. And then throughout my, you know, kind of like the middle of my mothering experience, I did have, I did have two miscarriages and that was Mm -hmm. really, that was really rough. That was a really difficult thing that I experienced um, because I mean, I don't know if you guys could tell this by listening (laughs) But I never Word. stop. I just, I don't stop. I just I'm always <laughs> going. <laughs> I'm always doing things. And uh, I just like to get out. I thought I like, like, I thought you were sp- speaking too much because you're my guest <laughs> on the podcast. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I, I just never stop though. Like I never stop moving. <laughs> I'm always doing something. Like I said, I've got like a pile of books over, over here. I'm always yeah. reading. So yeah. uh, when I had my miscarriages, I had to stop, you know, my body mm. was like, you need a minute to just right. rest and recover. And uh, that's another thing that we just don't, we don't talk about that in our society. We don't talk exactly. about, really, we don't talk about birth because that's weird. People are like, oh, mm. I don't want to talk about that. But it's something that happens to everybody. It affects everybody as well. So I think that it's important that we bring up these topics and, and honestly, just try to raise consciousness around birth and around even pregnancy loss. Because these are really common, normal experiences. A lot of people go through these experiences. And the, the shame, the big shame in our culture is that a lot of people are without support because they don't know other people have gone through that experience mm. as well. So, you know, Thanks. if we can just bring to light these experiences and let other people know, you know, there are people out there who have gone through what you've gone through. And we're alive to tell the tale. Maybe we're even stronger from it. I think that that's really important. Just like sharing the fact that that's that that's a, a realm of possibility when you're a parent yeah. that you might you might have a miscarriage or you might lose a child. And then uh, in 2020, my whole life stopped. So that was that was a really wild year. So um, I mean, everybody's life stopped in 2020, right? Because we had the uh, the pandemic and. You know, people are, are quarantining and doing remote work and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I was okay with all of that. I, I did get COVID and I got pretty sick from that. And I had some long haul symptoms, but, you know, the experience of getting COVID, I don't, I don't, again, I don't look at it as like a bad thing because mm -hmm. I'm always on the go and COVID was another journey or another experience in my life that was like, okay, you need to sit down and rest for just a couple of weeks. So the experience of having COVID and going through the healing process of just, you know, recovery, trying to get stronger, training your lungs to, to breathe deeply again, all of that stuff. It really yeah. has taught me even more so to tune into my body, um, to not work too much, to be very intentional with my body, um, to do good therapies, you know, like chiropractic care, get body work done on my body to make sure um, that that I am alive, right. <laughs> that my body works well when I get older, you know? So uh, if anything, I feel like COVID was a, this might sound weird, but it was like a blessing in disguise for me because it really just gave me the opportunity to slow down. But, you know, later yeah. in 2020 and in, in the summer of that year, I lost my youngest daughter and mm -hmm. she was almost four. So she was just a, a small baby at the time. Um, and she died in an accident. And, you know, this is another thing that we don't talk about. You know, we don't talk about birth. We don't talk about pregnancy loss. And we really don't like to talk about when a child passes away because that's scary in society. In society, it's like, you know, uh, we have parents, they grow old, we have children, our parents die, and then our kids take care of us. And that's kind of like right. the ingrained idea of society. Mm -hmm. So when a child dies, I really feel like a part of your community dies along with them because mm. people have this idea that they're going to get to watch these children grow up forever and see them do great things. And sometimes that doesn't happen. So uh, walking through that, that loss journey, I'll, I will tell you right now, <laughs> there is no way that I could have done that as a Catholic because mm. the, 
just the belief system that I had and the, the level of skills and coping tools that I had, they were just not, not exactly what I needed to process all of that because it's a really big thing, you know? And I think that when, uh, when a child, especially your own child, like that's, that's your worst nightmare, you know, like a lot of times I can remember, you know, being a younger mom and just staying awake at night or waking up from nightmares and things like that and thinking, oh my gosh, what if one of my children passed away? And I think, you know, a lot of parents do that. That's just pretty, it's normal to have anxieties because Mm. you love your children so much. So sometimes these uh, really scary things do cross your mind. And uh, so like waking up that day and walking through that day and knowing that this thing happened, like, honestly, the, the day that it happened, I just didn't know what I would do for the rest of my life. I was like thinking big, big scale, big picture. Cause I'm, you know, I'm always moving around and doing all this crazy stuff. I was just like, I don't know how somebody can go through this experience and yeah. like keep walking honestly. Cause I just felt totally shattered. And that's, mm. that's honestly the best way that I could describe the way that I felt. Cause I, you know, it was like my soul was shattered, but I also felt shattered in my body. Like my, your, your body feels the effects mm. of grief and you feel it all in your chest and in your legs. You just feel it like almost like a heaviness that just washes over you. And that didn't start to lift for almost a year. Honestly, I had that heaviness. So, you know, the only way that I, I walked through that was honestly, um, I have a really great support. I have a really great community and I had people from everywhere, people that I had thought maybe they had forgotten about me or, you know, maybe they didn't remember who I was. Maybe I had helped them five or six years ago with their pregnancies or something like that. All of these people from the community just like rose up. They brought us meals. They helped us cover bills while we weren't working and they made sure that we were supported. They Mm -hmm. got uh, pictures of my daughter printed out. And everybody was there for us spiritually and emotionally and even physically. So I just, I can't mention enough that I feel like I'm doing so well because I have my own, you know, version of spirituality that I feel like is very um, authentic and real to my soul. But also I have the support of a lot of people. Like I have a very good community. So what I think about just having gone through this experience is, you know, why am I different? What, Mm. what basically gives me the right or the privilege to have all these wonderful support people. And, you know, I, I brought this up with a lot of my friends and they've said things like, you know, well, you help so many people, so you deserve it. But I really don't feel like that. I feel like no matter who you are, if you go through such a big loss like that, you shouldn't do it alone. And I really feel Mm. like just as, as a community, we need to do better. The support and the outpouring that I received It shouldn't be something that's like out of the ordinary. Like everybody should get that amount of support while they're walking through something like that. Um, So I really feel like, again, as a society, we have to, we have to pull it together and we really have to surround people that are going through changes, whether that's death or even pregnancy and birth. Like that's a really big uh, transition and change as well. So we need to support each other a lot more uh, because I I really think that that's the only reason that I'm walking today, that I'm still following Mm -hmm. my life path and kind of on that healing journey is because of all of the blessings that I have received. Yeah. Support is one part of the puzzle, but life is kind of one person game right so at the end of the day 
you had to go through all that psychologically right so mm. how was it psychologically for you and like what do you think stopped you what do you think gave, gave you this kind of perseverance to go through that uh both right <laughs> uh there's no solid answer for that so like if you ask me how i was doing psychologically not good not good at all obviously yeah i just uh i didn't work for many months it was probably 5 or 6 months before i went back to work and um honestly i needed that time just to kind of sit and uh if i'm being 100% honest i just didn't do much for many months i just kind of sat um i rested i did a lot of meditation I did a lot of energy medicine like energy healing. I did a lot of ceremony and ritual. I did a lot of journaling. I did a lot a lot of talking to a grief and trauma counselor. And um that really I think helped me. Um but I was kind of stuck in this idea like you know, uh like you said in the beginning of this conversation, we've got all of these shells and all of these barriers around our mind and That's not just something that religion gives us. That's just something that we as humans do. We like to create little uh soft casing shells. You know, having a family and having children and building up a career for yourself or a business, you construct those shells for yourself. So basically the shell of everything that I was as a mother, as a caretaker, that all kind of fell away. So I was left as a person who I didn't recognize trying to put the pieces of my old life back together mm. while figuring out how to walk again figuring out um you know is my business important enough to continue doing this or should i just stay home should i just spend the time that i have with my kids or yeah. um am i using my time wisely like do i have good boundaries or am i overworking myself so there was a lot of things that i had to kind of walk through mm. and you know uh, my marriage really suffered as well like it's it's not There's no part about losing a child that's easy but like that's a really big tax as well when you're right. uh, when you're in a committed relationship with somebody because that affects your uh, relationship very deeply and then probably the honestly the worst part about all of this was the fact that I do have four other children and so I've had to walk with them through this grief journey and I can't imagine it because it didn't happen to me but I I just can't imagine what they have had to shoulder and carry as little kids who lost one of their siblings like i feel like that is a very big um a very big burden to carry so in one way i i feel i'm kind of sad for my kids you know but what i have seen through them is that they are just very resilient and really beautiful people and i feel like they're a lot kinder going through this experience like they're very kind to other children and uh they kind of like have almost like adopted this mindset and belief of like you just don't know what other people are dealing with so you know they're little people That's but very, they're very important. really yes but they're very yeah. kind you know they're very kind to other people but that was very difficult just to to sit with them and to walk with them and you know mm-hmm. grief isn't uh a grief healing journey isn't like a point a to point b it isn't like this bad thing happens and then a couple weeks or months later you feel healed. Yeah. It's more like a continual journey where you just kind of keep walking through the grief 
And hopefully, eventually, you find enough of yourself to get back to really living and get back to really feeling your own heart and your own soul and your own connection. But I do think that the grief is probably something that I'll hold probably for the rest of my life. Yeah, by going through your story, exploring what you have been through and the lessons you have learned in this journey, like this is a horrible thing to realize that first we have denial of death, right? Then through your story, I knew already that that we we as human beings denied death. We don't like to talk about that. We have created all these stories of afterlife and all that, blah, blah, blah. So we just don't have to face the fact that we are going to die someday. So through your story, I also like became aware that we as humans just do not deny death. We also deny birth as well. Yeah. And when you think about it, it's it's a very, very like stupid thing to realize and that we deny birth, we deny death. That's whole like that's life, right? Birth to yeah. death. And when we think about life, life is change. We also fear change. So yeah. when you take a bigger perspective, you get to see this very, very weird thing that most people like you described in your blog post that there are two kinds of people one they're living this kind of rat race waking up uh, eating going to job coming back like watching netflix going to sleep right yeah there are another people which are like kind of you can call them like nature's biological freaks like you (laughs) 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 who are kind of exceptional these one percenters which are kind of exceptionals who have this kind of breakthrough right yeah so this fear of change and denial of death and denial of life so i recognize like most people are not living they're already dead yeah 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 like you mentioned before that that consciousness of hell of that eternal prison Mm. i think that that's reality for a lot of folks because if you wake up every day and you don't decide to live like you don't decide what you're going to do you don't Mm. intentionally sit with your body and your heart and your soul and feel yourself on your journey what is the point you know, to me, there, there isn't a point. And that's kind of, again, that might be harsh, but that's a, a, an idea that I arrived at by deconstructing religion. And, you know, uh, you're right. When, when we're given religion and we're given basically like societal constructs, we have this idea that, you know, if you're a good person, then you will be rewarded. And when you die, you'll go to heaven and all of this stuff. But to be honest, we don't, that's not guaranteed to us. We don't know that for certain. All that we know is that we are born and then one day we do pass away. We are not comfortable of realizing and knowing what we don't know. <laughs> yes, yeah, like exactly. If, we, if I don't know something, 
as a human being my mind mind doesn't want to be in that space of not knowing <laughs> yes I, i want to know even if that's a lie and yeah. even if it's a belief right so i think that the you know religions they really they give you a framework and they mm-hmm. they answer all the important questions right um how did we get on the planet <laughs> what happens to us after we die what are we supposed yeah. to do with our lives religion gives us answers for these and they might not be the right answer <laughs> yeah. and they might not be the most logical answer but it's still yeah. an answer so i think that a lot of people find comfort in in falling mm. to those belief systems just because you don't have to think too much about what happens next yeah as as we discussed earlier like this this that's the nature of our mind <laughs> it doesn't want yeah. to be in that stage of this state of confusion it will do anything to get itself out of that state of confusion but breakthroughs happen when you stay with that confusion long enough so you break that wall right yes yeah that's what i think i definitely think that if you can sit in the uncomfortableness of life mm. and really discover what that where that uncomfortableness comes from then you start to realize that oh this is a painful one <laughs> but maybe you start to realize that you've <laughs> caused some of the discomfort in your own life or that some of the problems you have they're your own you know maybe some god or some devil isn't the one who is you know causing all of these issues in your life maybe some of these things are are dictated or even just maybe a little bit influenced by what you do and who you are and i think that's also a really scary concept to grapple with this idea of maybe we have a little bit more control than we've been taught to believe we have mm-hmm. yeah i remember uh, reading this quote i think it's buddha another weird person another like biological freak buddha <laughs> <laughs> he said that uh, all suffering is self inflicted yeah i've heard that i've heard that yeah yeah i i yeah i would i would have to agree with that too even when i went through the journey of losing my daughter i don't consider that to be suffering it was very mm-hmm. difficult it was a very intense situation i did feel totally shattered through that but to mm-hmm. me it wasn't shuff- suffering you know and that's another reason why it's it's very hard to talk about these things to talk right. about death and the passing of a child or even to talk about birth because people are very afraid of suffering and they immediately put themselves in your situation and think well what would i do if i went through this really crazy situation mm-hmm. and then a lot of times i feel like they just pity you like they feel really sorry for you and i don't i don't like the energy of pity if you pity me you're probably pitying yourself too exactly <laughs> and to me the the self pity energy is just like not taking accountability or responsibility mm-hmm. for your own healing and for your own walk and for your own journey so i don't like the self pity stuff so what i really hope to do by sharing my story is not to gain other people's pity but to mm-hmm. let people know that you can walk through really difficult situations and come out on the other side with your soul intact right uh, you said like 
peace on earth begins at birth <laughs> yes it rhymes well <laughs> so yeah <laughs> what does it mean oh man this is a lot of kind of like what i mentioned before of just giving birth inside of this industrialized mm-hmm. medicalized mm-hmm. machine and i feel like unfortunately mm-hmm. you know birth in our society as a whole is pretty violent like we do really violent things during the birth process um you know when we when the babies are born we scrub them and kind of shake them around and we're making sure that they're breathing and it's it a lot of time is a very jarring experience and so most of the time when people think about their own birth experiences or when people share stories about birth like maybe women are together or something and they're like sharing um their own stories of that passage into motherhood most of the time it's a very fearful conversation and it's a conversation about not about your own personal power and about how you walk through this very beautiful door of transformation most of the time it's like the doctor did this um this really scary thing happened the doctor saved my life and a lot of times it's very technocratic it's very much like all of these things were done to me and i don't have the power or the ability to basically claim the honor from that experience. And so I think that that's a big problem in our society because I I do believe that birth just like death it's a mm-hmm. a rite of passage. It it's something that transforms your soul when you pass through that. And um even partners, even partners at birth when they are able to be present during the birth and witness that, it changes them as well. Changes everybody in the room, especially if it's a powerful like in what experience. way you are like when you're speaking of change or uh, that transformation in what way you are speaking of that because if we think it makes them stronger maybe yeah. maybe it does but when i think it makes them wiser then i yeah. have to disagree because i don't see many saints walking around <laughs> <laughs> i think that's the problem though i think that um because birth is is something that happens to you and not something that you are are basically like So birth is something that happens to you and not something that you walk through powerfully. It's not something that you have autonomy over. It's something that other people do to you. Mm-hmm. And that is the farthest thing from the physiological and biological reality and truth of what yes. birth is. Birth is a process that starts within you and you pass through this experience. It's all about you. It's all about your body and your connection to your soul, your connection to your spirit. That's what that birth journey is about. But in our or more medical uh, model yeah that's what i was thinking like uh, when like sorry to interrupt you that's uh, yeah. that's what i was thinking that when i say like i don't see many wise people around maybe that process of birth and that that's why i was so excited to do, the, do this podcast like many people listening to us either like near them there's like birth is like constantly we are seeing birth and death around us yeah. <laughs> but but as humanity we have denied this so maybe there is a potential of wisdom some wisdom in these yeah. two instances yeah birth and Absolutely. death but most people are not grasping that so yeah you said like mainstream medical model of health it doesn't honors mothers or babies right yeah i that's what i believe yeah for sure so how does an 
holistic birth experience that honors and empowers the mind body and soul like how does it looks like and what they are missing what can like we are not attacking religion we are not attacking oh, med- sure. medicine right so how oh, can not we at do all. a better job yeah so i mean we're never going to get rid of the the medical model of birth because some people are going to be high risk sometimes medical things happen and you need that intervention so i think right. it's good to have that intervention you wouldn't go on a boat in the ocean and not take a life raft with you you'd have a life raft you had a jacket a life jacket you've had all of these things to keep you safe so i think birth is the same way you need a skilled attendant you need to have a lot of knowledge and a lot of wisdom um and i think that that's very necessary but i think if we could shift our model of care from being more technocratic like i'm going to do this to you we could switch that to being more humanist of here's what your options are here are the things that are happening to your body this is a good way for you to make informed decisions here's the benefits here's the risks that would help us claim more power and claim more autonomy over that situation hmm. and the other thing that a lot of people negate or maybe don't think about when they think about birth is they don't think about the babies you know they don't think about the consciousness a lot of times in our society we just think that because babies don't speak as we do that they're stupid or that they don't know mm-hmm. things or that maybe they're not aware of their surroundings but in my experience working with mothers working with parents working with babies i think babies are probably they have more wisdom than us humans are as big alive adults do <laughs> so that's another thing that we really need to be thinking about if we have any kind of care that just separates babies from their parents or if we're um violent with babies at all um i think that that is something that is really important that we need to look at and when we are kind of like hopefully reconstructing how we support birth in our culture hopefully we can remember that the infant is an alive conscious person that is experiencing literally its first you know, uh, life or its first uh, breath, its first idea of what living in the world will be. So um, if you think about that from the perspective of the infant, you know, they're in a very warm place, a place that's very dark, um, sounds are dampened, there's no light. And when they're born, the air is cold. And usually there's like all these lights on, you know, in the hospitals, and people are rushing around. Sometimes the nurses and the doctors are, are yelling at each other. Depends. Uh, so there's yeah. a lot of stimulation. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's possible that maybe that stimulation is upsetting or jarring to the baby. And we have to really think about when we do any kind of care to infants, we have to think about their emotions, honestly. And we, we want to help them. We want to make sure that they are basically like, um, experiencing the most peaceful, peaceful transition into living that they possibly mm. can. Um, I think there's a lot to be said about trauma, you know, birth trauma and the experience. Yeah. I would go as far to say that a lot of the women that I've talked to, they look at their births as being traumatic. You know, it's not this powerful, transformative doorway or experience. It's a mm-hmm. scary thing. And they feel like they barely got out alive. 
Mm-hmm. I just think that we can do better as a society. But I think better and we can... I think they say that. They don't yeah. really believe it. You know why? Oh, I don't I don't know. I think that people really do believe it. Because And I you know if, we if like to share have, bad stories suppose, too. Let's say <laughs> Let's say you have uh, been through some traumatic accident, right? Yeah. You'll not go back. You will try to avoid that situation for your whole <laughs> life. But these mothers, I've heard them saying that it was traumatic. It was like hell, and like my it felt like my bones were breaking and blah blah blah. But still, they are ready to give birth again. I'm saying why? Why it was it was so painful. Why you you're gonna give birth to two three <laughs> children again? Yeah, that's such that a man perspective. <laughs> That's hilarious because I think there's there's a lot of factors at play with that because you know sometimes people I do know honestly though I do know a lot of women who they will have one child and then they're like that's it that was really scary and I will never do that again so to be fair I do know a lot of people that are like that but I think other people like that's they feel cool. pressured so like for me for instance my first birth was really traumatic and if I wasn't religious, I probably wouldn't have had additional kids, honestly. Um, but because I was religious and I had this idea, you know, that women, it, like in that fundamentalist Catholicism that I grew up in, like you're not allowed to use birth control. So um, it's it's literally a sin. So they tell you, like, if you use birth control, uh-huh. then you're going to burn in hell. So uh, there are a lot of, I think, outside factors. And then some people, they're just concerned about their, their family size and they don't want their... Uh, their child to grow up as like an only child. So there's a lot of, I think, external um, societal forces that maybe like push people to want to have more kids, even if they're really scared and traumatized. But I mean, uh, doing this work for so long and just, (laughs) I see so many terrified pregnant people that are just really scared. They're just afraid of the experience. Uh, Maybe they had a birth before and that's why they're scared. Or maybe it's just all the stories that people share So one of my favorite things to do in the field of supporting mothers and parents Mm -hmm. is just, you know, helping people understand that birth can be different than what it is in the movies, that it can be a lot more peaceful and that it doesn't have to be crazy where everybody's yelling at everybody and all the lights are on. And uh, I just feel like that when we have um, collective trauma attached to the idea of birth, If Mm -hmm. you go through that experience and you're traumatized, that's going to affect how you parent, you know, that's going to affect your your attachment to your baby. Um, And if you're really traumatized going through that experience, your partner is probably also a little traumatized because they have seen you go through something and maybe it was violent or maybe it was scary or maybe the the medical staff, they just didn't Mm -hmm. explain things well enough. So it was very, a, a frightful experience for you. So, um, I don't know. Is that the best way? Is that the best that we can do is just sending new parents off? Like, okay, that was a terrifying experience. Here's your baby. I hope you do well. Call us if you need us. (laughs) Yeah. We need a lot and a lot of awareness when it comes to birth and death, which we need to think, like think for ourselves, question things and try to understand things a bit better. And yeah. speaking of going to hell, yeah, I wanted to break another mold uh, by the uh, medium of your story that in the process 
like uh, i think after age of 13 you went to live with your dad right uh when i was about yeah 17 i went to go 17. live with my dad yeah and he was a gay man yeah yeah you were told uh by the dogma <laughs> that yeah uh, people who are like different sexually who are gay they go to hell and they burn for eternity or and what not yeah yeah but when you go and you you went to meet him and you met him like beside uh, maybe twice before and you go yeah. and meet him and you start living with him what you realize that uh, as you described him like the most loving caring gentleman you have ever met right Yes, so, yeah, my dad's so, wonderful. <laughs> so the radical thought was that as a kid you were thinking that if people like this go to hell then I'm gonna go to hell too. Hell yeah, maybe I place. don't want to go where everybody <laughs> else is going. <laughs> so speak to me. It's terrible. Something about Yeah, that. no it yeah, it's it's true. It's very true, but um Yeah so I mean growing up like I said before there's a lot of pressure on women especially so it's like you have to dress a certain way and if you dress immodestly or if you dress um revealing and revealing clothing or tight clothing then you're going to lead men to sin so this is like a big burden that's put on women so um that's something that's actually been really difficult for me mm-hmm. even having deconstructed from religion I still struggle struggle to choose clothing that I feel good in because sometimes I'm like oh wait if this is too revealing then this might be bad or something like that so that's still patterning that I'm working through but yeah definitely as a catholic they they don't like um they don't like people who are gay or have different gender identities or or sexualities and they they believe that you know well you know what they believe we're not going to go into that <laughs> <laughs> it will take several podcasts to <laughs> discuss that Yes, it's it's too much. So yeah, I I mean I grew up like that and so when I had basically like I talked to my dad on the phone and my mom and dad got a divorce when I was very little, just like a couple months old. So um he moved across the country and we didn't see each other much, maybe two or three times growing up. Uh, we talked on the phone sometimes, but I kind of had like a big falling out with my mom. Some of it was due to religion, some of it was other issues. but um i went to go stay with my dad and yeah i i didn't know who he was really because i feel like you can't develop a good relationship with somebody just talking to them on the phone i feel like mm. you really need to have face to face conversations and see what kind of person they are and how they treat you other people you need to connect to them on zoom right exactly yeah exactly <laughs> so like my dad he knows everybody and he calls everybody by their name so like if he goes to a restaurant he knows what the server's name is and he calls them by mm. their name and they know him as well and he's very, very respectful to people he's very honest um so i just i look at people who are respectful and kind to others and who are honest and to me that's like the mark of a really good person like i don't care how many prayers you say or how much money you right. give to whatever organizations I care about who you are and how you treat people. So just seeing the type of person who my dad was, it was like there is no way that a person who is this kind to all of the other people they meet, there's no way that this person is going to hell. Like if they're going to hell then like what kind of god am I worshiping? So yeah, that was definitely uh just another drop in the bucket that was 
you know, put or I was like, okay, I cannot do this religion thing. <laughs> yeah. When we discussed like prior to podcast, like what we are going to talk about and all that, we also discussed that uh, we're going to talk about your work, which is your work and kind of my work also, what it's about. It's about uplifting the consciousness of humanity, right? Yes. So let's spend a few minutes talking about that. And after that, I'll let you go. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So one of the biggest things that I like to do is just to help people find that breakthrough. Like I, I honestly don't think I'm like a biological freak of nature. I feel like I'm a pretty, (laughs) I I was talking from other people's perspective. (laughs) We don't think that. (laughs) I really think that anybody can harness the power of their own authenticity and their own intuition. And so um, if I look at my life and I tell you why I'm successful, it's not because I have a car or I have a house or I have a family or a business. Like those things don't measure or define success for me. Like to me, success is being happy, is waking up every morning and being okay with the person that I am and listening radically to my own authenticity and intuition. So like, I don't, I don't have regrets in life because I don't act against my own intuition or my own authenticity. So when I uh, make decisions or when I set boundaries or when I decide to take up another project, I sit with my own heart. I sit with my own soul and I ask myself, can like, honestly, can I really take on another project right now? What Mm -hmm. kind of time do I have to devote to this project? And I, I don't regret taking things on or meeting with people or really any decisions that I make because I know at that time I sat with my heart. I sat with my soul. I sat with my intention and I felt good about it. So I can't be mad at myself in the future. I made the best choices and the best decision based on the information and the resources that I had at the time. So I feel like living a life without having guilt and regret and shame and trying to eliminate fear is very successful. Like I I feel like I don't have a lot of the barriers that other people have. And it's not because I'm like some awesome person. It's because I've done a lot of work to actively recognize and remove those barriers from my life. So I feel like everybody can be like that. And so for me being authentic and spiritual and in alignment with myself just looks like me living and helping other people and trying my hardest to be a good mother and to be a good friend to other people that I meet but to other people that might look differently. Like I feel like everybody's um, measure of what authenticity and really walking in their path looks like that's different for every person. Mm -hmm. So the best way to kind of uplift that level of consciousness is to live your life authentically. Right. Yeah. As much as I think so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you, and I think a lot of that could start with having good conversations with people, you know, right. because I think it's easy to unconsciously lie to yourself. You know, we tell mm. ourselves all these little white lies. We tell ourselves like, I exercise enough. I eat perfect. I do all of these things. But when you really sit with yourself, you have to be honest. <laughs> like, am I really this person that I, I say that I am? But a lot of times when you sit with somebody mm. who can ask, good questions, who is open and honest with you, it brings out that spark of honesty and authenticity in your own soul. 
So I feel like that's where I really excel. I like to have conversations with people. And I, I don't look at myself as like a judgmental person either. Because um, I've been through too much to have judgment for other people. If I were to judge other people, I'm sure that they could find a lot of things to judge me about. So I just feel like if we can have good conversations with each other and offer each other support and education and different techniques, that we do have the ability to raise and uplift consciousness. And, and through that, we change the world. Great. Speaking of the world, like what will be your message to the world, especially to the mothers, fathers, parents out there? Yeah, I would just say you've got this and listen to your own heart, listen to your own intuition. There's so many blogs out there and YouTubers and even your parents and your friend, your communities. There's so many people out there that tell you how to do things and they tell you how to walk in your path or how to be a parent or the best way to raise kids or walk about life. And the true radical honesty is, you know, what's best for yourself. And I think it is mm -hmm. scary to, uh, to step into that parenting role or really to step into any big role right. or transformation. But if you can radically listen to yourself, you always know that you're doing the right thing. It's not, it's not like this podcast is not just about parenting, right? It's about life. Yeah. You can apply these lessons anywhere and in any aspect of your life. Absolutely. I, I also believe in all that uh, vibration, the law of attraction, mm, that kind of thing. That and voodoo stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that voodoo stuff. <laughs> yes. Well, there's I really do it. think. They'll say the whole podcast they spent <laughs> talking about not believing things. Like we listeners will say the whole podcast they spend not like talking about not believing. And now they're talking about vibration. <laughs> Please send it to me. Please send it to me. Oh no, you're talking about this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do believe in energy. You know, I think that's why that's why I do energy medicine. That's why I do ceremonies. But like my authentic walk of spirituality is not based off of God's. It's not based off of somebody else's belief system. So when I step into the role of a spiritual healer, kidding. yeah. Oh, you're funny. <laughs> but when I step into the role of a spiritual healer, that's why I'm non-judgmental. Like I don't care what other people do and we can make ceremonies and we can create change in your life, regardless of what your belief systems are, honestly. But I really do think when you act authentically to yourself, mm -hmm the universe or whatever's out there matches other experiences to you. So if you're acting in a dishonest way or you're being inauthentic, I really think that that affects how other people treat you. So like if you're not authentic with the people around you and you don't set good boundaries and you're not listening to your own heart, then it's easy for people to disrespect you or it's easy for people to misunderstand you because you're not telling them who you really are. You're not willing to be honest with them enough um, you're not willing to be open and vulnerable enough to show them who you are at a deep, authentic level. So how can you expect them to treat you how you need them to treat you if you can't even show them who you are on an authentic level? Yeah. Well said. There is uh, also this one quote, which we can end this podcast with. 
you said life is about balance it's about listening and tuning into call of your own heart it's about living life as a whole being there are so many people who whether through conditioning or through life experience have forgotten the call of their heart who cannot understand the whisper of the soul who have lost touch with the unknown side of themselves so there are few things like in this quote if we kind of try to dissect and understand it life is about balance and it's about listening so why is so <laughs> so i really believe uh, believe that balance isn't something that i can give you you know because mm-hmm. balance for you and balance for me looks totally different that's why it's important to listen to your own heart and for me i actually tune into my own heart space so i'll sit almost like in a meditative space and i'll put mm-hmm. my hands over my heart and i will really ask myself mm-hmm. i want my my energy and my answers to come from my heart space and i want to to know what am i capable of doing what am i capable of handling what is my heart need me to know to get through this day and so i think that you know <laughs> probably we're never going to achieve like balance like it's something that we're always working towards it's kind of like like a thermostat like if you set your temperature in your house to be a certain temperature uh, when it gets too hot that thermostat is going to kick on or when it gets too cold that thermostat is going to kick on so the same way for us as we're seeking balance in our life we kind of get out of balance and we're like oh that doesn't feel good so we come back into balance and then we get out of balance again and we find a way to come back into balance so mm-hmm. i do think that it's uh it's about listening to what balance means to you so anybody out there could give you the best advice in the world or you could read all these books or listen to all the podcasts or do whatever but mm-hmm. if you don't listen to your own soul and discover what your balance looks like and discover what your mm-hmm. boundaries looks like none of that advice matters and it's not really applicable to you exactly and the next line is it's about living as a whole being what do you mean by mm. whole being i really feel like a lot of times our power is taken from us because a lot of us are are born into religions or cultures or just societal structures where our power is taken from us because we're molded to be a good component inside of that system so if you're molded to be a certain shape and that's not your authentic configuration and it's very difficult to walk as a whole person because maybe there are parts of yourself that you haven't discovered just because you've been stuck in that mold for so long right there are so many people who whether through conditioning or through experience have forgotten the call of their heart like it's very very like most people can't even listen to like <laughs> the call of their heart i think like one of the factors is this conditioning that's why i, yeah. I talk a lot about like conditioning on this podcast <laughs> because mm. until kind of what it acts as a kind of a barrier right yeah. it doesn't let you see things yeah absolutely even if your heart is constantly screaming and you're not able to like listen to that or even if you are able to listen to that 
there is a lot of dogma beliefs in your head constantly which you have fed from your childhood so you're not yeah. you don't have that courage to follow your heart right exactly yeah i i think that it, it you're right it does put a barrier up and you know in our brains we have this funny little thing called confirmation bias mm. and basically you know the confirmation bias That's is the devil <laughs> yes yes so the confirmation bias is you know we see what we always have seen and we see what we want to see so if you have conscious or even unconscious beliefs you are always setting yourself out to prove those beliefs so just the awareness that confirmation bias exists is so helpful for some people and then you can start to really check your experiences and look at them objectively and right. you know i think that that's another another thing that could really help us on this path of being authentic mm-hmm. and being intentional is just deciding if your experiences and the exchanges and interactions that mm-hmm. you have with other people are those things good are they authentic do they feel right can i look at them non objectively like can mm-hmm. i remove my biases and my traumas and my right. beliefs enough to just sit with somebody and to really hear what they're saying and to listen to their soul and i think mm-hmm. that when you can listen and remove those barriers for other people it helps you to start to remove those barriers in your own life as well yeah so those who like it the quote ends with who cannot understand the whisper of their soul who have lost touch with the unknown side of themselves so most people must be wondering like how can i regain this touch right yes yeah so, like getting in touch with that with that unknown side yeah so to me the unknown side is kind of like the unconscious mind or like uh you know carl jung called it the uh the shadow side or the shadow self So I really feel like this whole process of uncovering your bias, uncovering your experiences, uncovering your trauma and just starting to be aware of how those biases or those traumas those experiences might shape your actions or maybe might shape your reactions. And I think that was a a really big you know part of my waking up journey, you know, it's a terrible a really terrible story but I was in a store one time and I was just kind of walking in the entrance and there was a girl who had a really short skirt on and I immediately I called her a bad name like a, a slut shaming name in my head. I didn't say it out loud, thank God. But <laughs> uh I immediately had this reaction in my mind and I made judgments about her. And when I really sat with that interaction, I was like very ashamed of myself. I was very ashamed that when I saw this girl that my instant reaction was to criticize or to judge her and so the more i sat with that experience the more i realized you know objectively that's not who i am that's not really what i believe and i would never say something like that to somebody in person so why did i have this instant reaction when i saw this this woman and to me it was because of my conditioning it was because how it was brought up it was because what right. i was told the idea of what a good woman should look like or how you should dress as a good woman or mm. how you should be godly and how you should um you know serve god and, and all of these things so i really had to from that experience start to separate my trauma and my conditioning my beliefs from uh my reactions you know and so I, you know meditation helps with that kind of mm. becoming non-reactive um and and really just being able to to be non-reactive 
for any amount of time, whether that's like two or three minutes a day, or whether you can start to sit with your own experiences and, and view them from a lens of non-reaction and non-judgment and just looking at things objectively, I think really helps you uncover who you are at a deep level, not who your traumas are or who your beliefs or conditioning are, but really who you are. Right. Maybe that Joseph Campbell said, like the cave you, I don't exactly remember the quote, like it's the cave you fear to enter mm. has the most, like has the answer you need, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I believe that too. And I, uh, you know, looking at your traumas is a very scary thing. And I, I think, you know, not everybody is going to be in a place where they're ready. You know, you might not be ready right now to look at your traumas or to really do that heavy lifting spiritual or, or emotional or even psychological work. You know, sometimes right. you're going through a really difficult time in life. And you just need space to sit and to come to neutral and to rest before you can take up that work. And I think that that's fine too. Like we're all on a healing journey, every single one of us. And that means that we're never going to reach a destination. We're always going to be walking on that healing journey, whatever that looks like for each of us. At the end, like it's kind of your, whatever the journey I have yet explored. And what I am going to explore in the future, because I know there's much more it like this huge life. It cannot be like, we can't talk about it in like in an hour or so. So we're going to talk about that. There was this thing which interested me a lot and I'm not going to let you go without asking that. <laughs> this concept of cosmic downloads. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> what kind of downloads are these? <laughs> you download from the cloud, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh my goodness. So um, I first heard the term cosmic download from this, uh, from this midwife. Her name is Wapio and she has practiced in rural Georgia in America um, for years. She's like 80 something now. So she's been a midwife most of her life. And she's been doing, you know, low technology, very much family centered, spiritual birth support, basically this, this whole time for many decades. And so she says that a cosmic download is when you just get this amazing realization. It's like that moment where a lot of moving pieces in your life kind of fit together and it just feels like you reach an aha moment or like um, a light bulb moment. And suddenly a lot of things start to make sense. So I feel like those are rare moments of lucidity and clarity in our lives, because a lot of times we're so clouded by just our own judgments, our own experiences, our ego, maybe even our traumas. We're so clouded by all of those things. So it's very rare that we find those moments of, of just pure clarity where everything make sense and you feel in good alignment. So I think those moments of clarity and lucidity are so important to take advantage of. So if you ever come into contact with the cosmic download, just sit, take a minute, breathe and journal, just like get all of your thoughts out so that you make sense when you don't have so much clarity. <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, like we were saying earlier in this conversation, like, like just 
being non-reactive and non-judgmental towards your own feelings, your own emotions, your own experiences. I mean, that really helps you start to understand when those downloads are happening and when you're in those moments of clarity. Where these people can follow you? Oh, so I have a, a Facebook page, a Twitter, and a YouTube. And you can find me on uh, Brittany Freak and Chavez uh, with all of those handles. Or you can look at my website, which is just BrittanyFreakandChavez.com. And I love to do consults and just talk with people and to see if we're a good fit. Or you could just follow me and watch all the different offerings and things that I have over there. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming. And this was so enlightening. Oh, I hope you will be back soon and we'll talk some more. Oh, man. Thank you so much, Sean. This was such a great opportunity. I really appreciate you. I had a great time this morning. Really appreciate it too.